Please join me in reading from Luke 15. The tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were whispering among themselves. They said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them a story. There was a man who had two sons. The younger son spoke to his father. He said, Father, give me my share of the family property. So the father divided his property between his two sons. Not long after that, the younger son packed up all he had. Then he left for a country far away. There he wasted his money on wild living. He spent everything that he had. Then the whole country ran low on food, so the son didn't have what he needed. He went to work for someone who lived in that country. That person sent him, the son to the fields to feed the pigs. The son wanted to fill his stomach with the food the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Then he began to think clearly again. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough food? But here I am dying from hunger. I will get up and go back to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. I am no longer fit to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. He was filled with tender love for his son. He ran to him. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer fit to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. But bring the fattest calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. This son of mine was dead and now he is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. So they began to celebrate. The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants. He asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, the servant replied. Your father has killed the fattest calf. He has done this because your brother is back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. He refused to go in, so his father went out and begged him. But he answered his father, look. All these years, I've worked like a slave for you. I've always obeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours has wasted your money with some prostitutes. Now he comes home and you kill the fattest calf. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. And, but now we had to celebrate and be glad. This brother of yours was dead and now he is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Well, good morning. My name is Mike, uh, lead pastor here at Tungabi Anglican Church. And if you're new here this morning or online, it's great to have you. This is one of my favorite stories of the whole Bible, and I'm so chuffed to be able to share it. But before that, let me just say, Noah, I think they did all right. We were both talking beforehand about how the adults wouldn't get into the, drum, the, the singing and dancing, but I think they crushed it today. Yeah, so well done you. Um, now, 
This is a great story. Uh, it's, uh, it's one of the parables, one of the most famous parables that Jesus told. Can anyone help me understand what is a parable? Who wants to put up their hand and help me? What, what is a parable? Yes. It's a, a story that Jesus told, and it's got a, it's got a punch, doesn't it? Uh, a punchline, it kind of it hits us between the kind of, in, right in the heart, maybe. Uh, C.S. Lewis, who wrote uh, the, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia, a very famous storyteller, uh, talks about how stories get past our watchful dragons. Uh, he's using a metaphor there to talk about uh, how stories find a way of sneaking around into our heart and, kind of, and, and captivating us. Uh, we're not particularly good at responding to truth bombs. We get very reactive, um, and Jesus knows that. And so rather than just dropping truth bombs on the crowd, which he does occasionally, he also tells stories as a way of captivating people that they might understand something very pointed about the good news of Jesus. And in this particular case, uh, who, who remembers was in, was in the crowd from those first couple of verses from Luke chapter 15? Who was in the crowd on this particular occasion? It was kind of two groups of people. You know, you know, this is a memory game. Yep, the Pharisees and what Pharisees for the kind of uh, for, for those that are maybe unfamiliar with that language is kind of like the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders of the day. They were experts in the law. They knew lots about religion, um, and they thought they were pretty good. Uh, who else do we have in the crowd? Oh, come on, adults! Do you remember? Yes. Sinners and tax collectors, kind of a, a mash of kind of like people that, you know, you know, tax collectors, nobody liked them, particularly in those days, I might add, because they would sort of take some for the government and some for themselves, so they weren't very popular. Uh, but sinners is kind of a, a bit of a catch-all term for people who live without regard to God, who don't live to please Him and do their own thing. And so that is the two kind of groups in the crowd. Uh, and what do you think they thought of each other? What do you think the Pharisees thought of the sinners? They thought, I reckon they would have thought like, what are they doing here? Like, we're better than them. Uh, and, the, and the sinners uh, would have looked at the Pharisees, I reckon they would have been like Australians. They would have been like, look at those losers. Um, you know, they think they're pretty good, don't they? Uh, so the, the, tall, the tall poppy syndrome just cut, cut down those people. Uh, and so the, here are the two groups in the crowd. And it's fascinating, isn't it, that Jesus is able to bring together both of these groups. And when he has both these groups' attention, he tells them a story. And it's the story of two sons. Now, already we might have a bit of an inkling. Who do you think the two sons represent? Surely they represent the, the, the Pharisees and the tax collectors, uh, the sinners. And uh, that's indeed what happened. So the first, the first part of the story is telling the story of the younger son. And he's a bit of an upstart. I reckon he's a bit of trouble. Uh, we might be familiar with some kids that are like that, maybe. Um, and uh, yeah, he, he tells the younger son comes up to the father one day and says, Dad, he basically says this, right? Dad, I wish you were dead so that I could get the inheritance that you owe me when you die. How do you think that conversation would go? Not, not, not very good. That's not, that's not kind of like a, hey, Dad, how you doing conversation. It's certainly not a I love you conversation, is it? I wish you were dead so that I could get the inheritance that you owe me when you die. I want it now. And I don't want anything to do with you anymore because I'm going to take that money and I'm going to uh, make myself big. I'm going to live large and I'm going to have a lot of fun. See you later. Uh, now, that conversation would not go well now, but it certainly would not go well then. 
the culture of the time where Jesus was talking uh, in, in the gospel here uh, is, is a kind of a shame on a culture. Uh, people would, uh, would, would think well or otherwise based on kind of how people acted. Uh, there is no way, surely, and the crowd would have known this, right? There is no way the father would have bared the shame of his son talking to him like that. How dare you dishonor me? Ought to have been the, you know, response that you'd expect. Um, now, let's just touch for a moment here. Not everyone in the room might be familiar with shame. Uh, let, let's start with, back up a little bit, embarrassment. Uh, embarrassment is kind of like when, when you do something, you know, that maybe you regret, uh, that, that you learn to laugh about later. You might, you might be embarrassed in the time, might not be laughing in that moment, uh, but in the end, you'll kind of get over it and you can learn to laugh about it. Uh, shame is much deeper than that. When something happens, you know, that you've done or that something has been done to you and you can't laugh about it because you are made to feel worthless. That's what shame is. And surely the father would not have been made to feel worthless from the disrespect of his son. Who are you to talk to me like that? But as Jesus tells the story, that's what people are expecting, as Jesus tells the story, what does the father do? He divides up the inheritance. He kind of sells up the property, as it were, and would have divided the property, you know, two-thirds to the older son, because they get double the portion, and a third to the younger son, hands over the money and says, here you go. Now, there would have been some murmuring in the crowd for sure, both amongst the Pharisees and the tax collectors, because this is a universal norm that Jesus is crossing. What on earth is going on in this story? What a, what a weak father. Hmm. Well, the son goes off with his money and, 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 he, and he spends big uh, he, on wild living. He buys the super yacht uh, of the day, maybe like a I don't know, a really good barge or something. Uh, uh, he, he kind of, he, he, he sort of buys new friends and parties with them. Uh, and he lives in, in a sort of a foreign land, completely detached to his, to his homeland, to, to his family, uh, because now he is all about finding himself and making himself look big through his brand new freedom that he's just bought for himself. He would have been thinking pretty well of himself, I'm sure. And everyone would have thought great things of him, perhaps, amongst his friends, because he had money to burn, and, uh, and that buys a lot of friends for a little while, doesn't it? But what happens in the story? When you cut yourself off from the source, you, you kind of have, you have a pile of money, and it looks big to start with, but it doesn't last. And that's what happens. He runs out of money. And, and, and not only that, but there's a, there's a famine in the land, and, and, and there's not an opportunity for him to make more money, and he certainly can't call home to say, Dad, uh, could, you, uh, could you maybe kind of send me a cash advance? <laughs> what do you think Dad would have said? <laughs> I've given you everything I owe you, or not even owe you. you, you demanded from me. And so what is he left to do? He goes and finds a job. Now, he's a Jewish man, right, that finds a job amongst Gentiles, and those two don't mix very well, uh, and not only that, but he finds the most shameful job, as it were, working amongst the, the dirty, non-kosher pigs and, and feeding them food. Like, that is from the top, from sort of party town, all the way down the rock bottom. And, and it gets worse. As he's trying to feed these pigs to make a little bit of money, he is so hungry, 
so low that he actually wishes he could eat the food that he's giving to the pigs. That's about as low as it gets, isn't it? And as he's sitting in the trough, he's thinking to himself, man, I reckon like even the servants in my father's house are doing better right now than me. Now, that would have been a sobering moment because he was a son of the father. He had everything that the father had and and, and he's tried to kind of go big. He's maxed out. He's now in the, in the pigsty and, and he recognises that even the servants in his father's house are doing better than him. He has shipwrecked his life. He has cut himself off from the source, from the love, from all the benefits of the father. And now he finds himself here. What is he going to do? Well, he starts to practice a bit of a sorry speech. I don't know if you, what, what it's like for you to practice sorry speeches. Uh, they usually start in, you know, like something like, I'm sorry, you're a stupid face. You know, it's kind of like, you, you, you're sorry that kind of you messed me up. You know, you're angry. It's kind of full of emotions, right? But as he kind of becomes, you know, aware of his, the reality of his situation, his sorry speech goes something like, Father, I am not worthy to be called a son. See the shame in that? I am, I'm worthless. I'm not even worthy to be called a son of yours anymore. Uh, your servants are doing better. Uh, could, could you please... Take me back, I'll just, I'll work as a servant. You don't have to call me a son, I'll just work in the shed. Can you just look after me in that way? That is a humbling, humbling sorry speech that he's practicing in his head. But it's more than that. He, needs to, he knows that he needs to overcome the shame that he has brought upon his whole family and the community. Do you know there is this custom in sort of ancient Jewish tradition that if you lost your inheritance to Gentiles... Uh, you'd be brought before the village, they would take a clay pot and they would smash it. It's called gazaza. They would smash it and they say, you are cut off from our people. Cool ceremony. Uh, But but that's a way of kind of cleansing the village from the shame brought on them by you. So they would smash the pot and they'd say, get out, you're cut off. Now he knows that as if he's going to dare approach his father with this sorry speech, that he has brought that shame upon the family and he might be kicked back straight out again. He, he might even be beaten for, for his disobedience. And yet he knows that he cannot stay in the pigsty. And so there he goes. He walks home, just practicing the sorry speech, practicing the sorry speech. Meanwhile, The father every morning, every morning the father has been looking through the window, seeing if his son would return. He doesn't have like an air tracker, air tag tracker, you know, to find out where his son is, because your parents don't do that, do you? Anyway, um, he's got no idea where his son is, but, but he is hopeful that his son might return and he has been looking every morning. And one particular morning, he sees on the horizon that the silhouette of his son pop over. And his heart begins racing and he's excited and he's filled with compassion. And then he starts running and he picks up his robe and he runs. And again, that's a ridiculous moment for this kind of Jewish tradition. No honourable father runs or picks up their robe as though it was a skirt and bolts down the, you know, the driveway. Okay, Honourable men in those days would work, walk kind of you know, proper, 
and kind of with respect. And yet this son, this father throws all that away and just tears down the driveway. And you could imagine what the son might be thinking, here he comes, I'm really in for it, right? And so he begins the sorry speech, Father, I am not worthy to be called a child of yours. But rather than smash the pot and say, you are cut off, the father cuts off the speech of the son and embraces him. The father embraces the the reckless, disobedient, shameful son and embraces him as a son. And the father says, get the robe and put it around his dirty skin and get the sandals and cover his bloodied feet and get the ring because, and put it on his finger because I want this son of mine to be honoured because this son of mine was dead and now is alive. This son of mine was lost and is now found. Brothers and sisters, friends, this is the most beautiful picture of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus. If you think you have hit rock bottom, if you think you are worthless, especially before God, when I've met people who won't step foot in a church because they don't feel like they're worthy, right? All kinds of reasons we might think we are not worthy of God. Here is the Father who runs out to embrace the sinner the shameful, and cuts off our speech of our own worthlessness and gifts to us what it means to be a child of His. It is is a beautiful picture and this is what God is like. For all the people in the crowd who think that God is, is kind of like a, an angry judge, that if you dare step foot in His presence and you're a sinner and you're shameful... Uh, that you'd be, you'd be kind of, you'd be smited. Here is a picture of the embrace of the compassionate Father, and it is beautiful. So this son thought he could find himself through freedom, through self-defined freedom. But in the end, he shamed his family. He, he was shameful himself. He considered himself worthless because he'd cut himself off from the Father but he found still the love of God, the love of the Father, because he turned away from the way he was living and turned back to the Father in humility to say sorry. And Jesus says to us that if we come before God and are sorry for the way that we have lived without Him, that He will forgive us, He will embrace us and He will gift and lavish upon us what it means to be a child of God. I love this story. But I wonder if the main kind of driving sort of force of the story is not the beautiful picture of the Gospel, although it is beautiful. It actually finishes, I think, with the punch landing on the other group. Because while Jesus is telling this beautiful picture of the Father's love, of the good news of Jesus, there is the other son in play still, isn't there? 
Uh, what, what is he like? Tell, tell, tell me uh, from the crowd here, what, what, what is he like? What, how do you imagine the older son in this story? What's that? Well behaved. Okay, he's, he's a good son. He's the kind of son that kind of gets wheeled out at the, at the parties. I am so proud of this son. <laughs> uh, what, what, what else is he like? He's a hard worker. Great, very hard worker. Uh, he's out there in the fields every day working hard for, for the father. Uh, and in fact, that comes out in his speech, doesn't it? Um, many of us will be actually more like the older son, I think. Because what the older son is doing is he is finding himself through being good. And some people even think as they approach church and Christianity that this is what it's all about, being good. And when you make your life about being good, you say to yourself, I am good. And you see how these these are opposite errors. The first son uh, tried to define himself through his own freedom, but in the end found that he was worthless because he'd cut himself off from the father. This son, he's kind of, he just finds his worth by how good he is. But look what happens. When he hears the kind of music uh, and the dancing, uh, much like what we've heard today, actually, uh, he comes to, he, he sort of, he, he finds a servant, what's going on over there? And the servant says, your brother has returned. And, and the father is so chuffed that he's slaughtered the fattened calf, he's thrown on a big party because what was lost is now found, what was dead is now alive, come and join in. But the older son stays outside, he says, no way I'm participating in that. Because for all of my days, I've worked hard to be good. And this jerk of a son throws away all of the money of the father, of our good dad. Uh, he's brought shame upon our family, the whole village think we're idiots. And now he comes back and dad throws the party for him. Surely throw him out the back, right? Have him as a servant. What on earth is going on here? And for the second time, the father bears the shame by actually coming out to the son. This time, the older son, the good son. Do you see what's happening here? For the second time, the father uh, bears the shame of, of coming out to meet a child of his. And he reminds that older son, that everything that was his is the son's to share in. He has forgotten what it means to be a child of the father. He has forgotten what it means to delight in the goodness of this family because he has made his own identity, his own worth in being good and he throws that in the father's face. How dare you? And how often do we do that? When we think that we are good and say to God, you owe me. What's going on, God? I've worked for you. I've done all this good stuff. And where are my blessings? And the story kind of finishes there. (laughs) The conclusion to the story is actually in the response of the crowd. And it's actually put before us now. What shall we do? How should we respond? If you are more like the younger son, will you turn away from, from living your self-defined freedom and say, sorry that I'm living without you, Father? Will, will, you, will you accept me? Knowing that the Father will embrace you as a child of His. If you're more like the older son, will you stop thinking of yourself as so good because you're good? <laughs> 
and remember what it means to be a child of God, delighted in and living in the goodness of all that is the Father's. The only way through this is to actually see the good son in the story. And I'm not talking about the older son here, I'm talking about the storyteller. The only way that either son in the story, that any of us could come before the Father, could come before God, is because of the storyteller, the good son, the son of God. Because he's the only one that has ever lived to please the Father out of the delight of being a child of God. And He is the one that bears the shame with the Father that we deserve. He is the one that bears the judgment that we deserve. Just as we've heard in the, uh, in the memory verses this week, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, that's us. And honour Christ, that is, uh, instead of dishonouring, instead of shaming, honour, honour Christ and let Him be the Lord of your life because He is the one that actually bore the shame of the cross so that we wouldn't have to face the judgment of God, so that we would be embraced and welcomed in as children of God and that is good, good news. It's the news we've been celebrating all week. It's the news that I want you to respond to freshly every day in the delight of being a child of God. Now, each one of us, even if you've been a Christian for a long time, will have the propensity to kind of veer off to be more like one of the children in the story, the younger son or the older son. May this morning be a reminder of the goodness of the Father and of coming back to Him and delighting in Him and holding out that news to many, that many would find the good news of Jesus. Let me pray. Father, You are a good God. You are compassionate and loving, even when we don't deserve it. Remind us this morning of what it means to be a child of Yours, that we might live out the joy of that and that You might change us from the inside out to live for You. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.